Our favorite albums is sponsored by Complete Data Systems. Retail stores are getting their tails kicked right now. As a retailer, you need the best possible tools in your retail store, including bulletproof point-of-sale software. If you need point-of-sale software, if you're looking to do open-to-buy, if you want the most complete retail reports possible, check out retailprodemo.com. That is retailprodemo.com. Our favorite albums is brought to you by financial advisor Darby Brockway at Edward Jones. Learn how Darby can help you reach your financial goals. Reach Darby at darby.brockway at edwardjones.com. Edward Jones, making sense of investing, member SIPC. The roots of rock and roll run deep into the fabric of Southern blues. Early power guitar pioneers such as Bo Diddley, Lightning Hopkins, John Lee Hooker, Freddie King of Texas, and of course B.B. King paved the way for the 60s rock gods like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, or even Jimi Hendrix. Ironically, it was the British rockers emulating American blues that inspired a totally new age of power guitar shredders in the next generation of rock and roll musicians. In the second substantial wave of American rock, one little group from Texas blasted their way into the world by taking these simple blues concepts and turning them into pure electric sex and adrenaline with the dusty feel of a South Texas border bar where fights and broken glass were part of the culture as much as the music. In this episode of Our Favorite Albums, we go El Loco through the Rio Grande mud with the tres hombres from Tejas, and we have a Fandango afterburner on ZZ Top's first album. Our Favorite Albums is a commentary, criticism, and music review podcast. All tunes are copyrighted and owned by the artists, not us. We just have to tell... <laughs> Motherfucker. We are just here to tell our opinions, which obviously are our own and don't reflect any artist, a sponsor, or whatever. This is Our Favorite Albums. This is Our Favorite Albums, a podcast where we take a single album at a time and analyze it all the way through from the edge to the center, flip it, and do the other side. I'm Michael, and with me as always is my partner in crime, Jason. Hello. Here we are once again. And I, I got to tell you, uh, it, it took us a couple weeks to put this one together before we finally decided to record uh, which is ironic because this is a really short album. 36? 35, 36 minutes. minutes. Yeah, yeah, this is literally shorter than anything we've listened to. Yeah, yeah. At this well, point. And, and, and in fact, you had a song on your top 10 list, I think, that was longer yeah. than this album. So. <laughs> I think you're right. Or, or very close, uh, very close anyway. <laughs> At least my breakdown was longer than the <laughs> well, album, that, right? That's for sure. 
That goes without saying. We're talking about the album ZZ Top's first album by ZZ Top. Now, that, my friend, is one of the most unique album names of any album you're going to come across. It absolutely is. Wasn't the story that uh, when they were trying to figure out what they were going to call it, one of the producers or something said, you know, you want them to know you're coming back. So we want them to know you're going to have a second album. Right. So let's call it the first album. That's so, right. Which is really rock and roll, if, if you think about it. I mean, that's absolutely. a badass thing to do, yeah, right? That, that, that really is like kicking the doors down. And yeah, absolutely. Like, it, it inter- introducing yourself as, here I am. Here we are. Here to stay. Uh, was it Minute Work that did that? You know what? I think you might be right. That's yeah, a good point. When they won a Grammy, that they, they accepted their award. This is our first Grammy or something. Uh, like we that. are the men, and we'll see you again. <laughs> we'll see you again. Matter matter fact, you I think that's, is what that's he said. right. That's that was, right. what, 82 or 83? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, and if I may, kind of a ballsy title for a band that had been together a year? Six months. Has it, well, okay, so it was six months when they went into the studio, so less than a year. Six yeah. months, yeah. Uh, so, um, I don't know, maybe we can get into that. Uh, so, uh, again, we're talking about ZZ Top's first album. Uh, before you go any further, let me stop you. Of all the ZZ Top albums, you know, like of all the gin joints, of all the ZZ Top albums, why this one? That's a great question. I had... Uh, and, 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 not to interrupt you, but I had never listened to this album really? ever really? before you picked it. Not a single track off of it. ZZ Top for me starts with like Jesus just left Chicago and waiting on the bus and Lagrange, okay. and that's that's that, the that's Trace Amigos, Trace Tr- 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 Sombres, Trace Som- yeah, Trace Tr- 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 Sombres, Trace Sombres. That's the that's the one. That's what I started with. I, I didn't even had never heard anything on this album, so it, it was an interesting choice. Yeah, so why? So why? I, I, I'll tell you why. I, I had two major influences when I was a kid when it came to, came to music. Um, my cousin Tommy, who was really like an older brother for me, and my mom. And my mom, uh, was she was only 20 years old when I was born. She was going on 21. Uh, so she was, she was a young girl when I came along. She was fresh off of being a teeny bopper kid. Uh, and what she would do is she would collect her money. She would save her money, and she would go buy records. That was her thing, and she bought records. So when I came along, by the time that I started getting into music, by the time I was... I don't know, second or third grade, and and listening to music, my mom had this incredible collection of albums. Right. right? One of the albums that she had, and, and I have to tell you, she was again as a teeny bopper in the in the late sixties and early seventies. She had a lot of like monkeys, um, okay. but she also had Rolling Stones. Gotcha. Uh, she had Alice Cooper's Killer. Wow. Which is a red album with a, a snake sticking his tongue out, and it's like in marker. The, the words. You know, I, I know your mom. I'm, the, the idea of her as an Alice Cooper fan is fascinating. Uh, but it was a time, her, right? Her time, music, yeah. My mother's music collection. Like, if you just met my mom, uh, my mom is the sweetest person. In the she, world. she is. But if if you saw her music collection, like what she had as a as a young kid, getting into music was incredible. And one of the albums that she had was ZZ Top's first album. And uh, when I got old enough, after. She gave me carte blanche. I would go listen to it. But when I got old enough to the point where I really started listening to music, she gave that to my cousin Tommy. And so um, my cousin Tommy got that record. I have no idea if he still has it or not. But, but my two music influences kind of traded this record. Gotcha. So you, yeah. heard it, you heard it from both of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I would, man, I would sit there and look at this album cover. And it, it's done in this, like, yellow parchment. Uh the word ZZ Top, it's actually spelled Z-Z-E-E-Z-E Top. And so it wasn't even spelled the letter ZZ Top at this point. They were still trying to figure out their name. Trying to figure out how they wanted to look. Yeah, right. a small picture that was in sepia tones of a guitar. 
which by the way that guitar we're going to come back oh to. yeah we're going to talk about that guitar <laughs> and on the back was a picture of these three guys in a watercolor and that's what that the hats uh did they have the cowboy hats not, on i don't that i don't think they had hats. okay okay yeah there's a picture from that time period that i saw on of them when they've got like this these big tall hats on and they're these like goofy thin, looking hats goofy looking hats yeah. right and mm-hmm. you know, he wears his bass up kind of and it's a big bass and guitar there's like he's billy gibbs is really lean and yep. it was it's just a weird picture it's a really weird image it, it, it is weird uh and, and maybe that's one of the reasons that i picked this is because zz top throughout the evolution of the band they went through many many different changes and what i knew at that point understand that growing up in like in the early 80s yeah it's the, the mid 80s it's the beards and the car and the, the mtv the stupid beards and yeah. the stetsons and the fuzzy guitars that they had that attached they had to twirl, to and twirl. And yeah but yeah I mean, for, for the for kid, kids our age mtv generation that's what you grew up with was is it eliminator is that is that the Elim- album? eliminator is where sharp dressed man was on okay yeah which was a MTV staple. It, it was. And a radio staple. So that's that's where most people our age got would have gotten any kind of introduction to yeah. ZZ Top at all. Uh, so, and not to get to, if, if we try to give like a full history of the band ZZ Top, you're talking about a band that has been together since 1970. And this would be a much longer podcast. It absolutely yeah. would. Uh, th- their first entry into the popular music uh, of of like the, the new generation in the 80s was on El Loco, and it was a song called Give Me All Your Lovin'. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and they became these. Um, they were almost like mythical, magical creatures that would kind of show up when loving needed to be made. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's right. I'd forgotten about yeah. that. But w- when I came along, and I I got the album Afterburner by ZZ Top, which is one of I have to admit it's one of my favorite albums. Uh, but a lot of people like scoff at that album because there's a lot of synth and a lot of cheesy again with the beard and the stetsons yeah. and the the twirly guitars they, they almost it was almost like they were parodying themselves and yeah. had this bigger huge persona right. larger than life persona if yeah. you will it was that being said velcro fly is my jam really i love velcro fly <laughs> oh the things we learn when we talk on the podcast <laughs> but like with any zz top uh song that that we all know it is filled with innuendo and pervy sex that that's kind of their thing i mean even on this first album i mean we're going to get into the songs later but even on the this album i mean there's a lot of blues like but they still have blues lyrics like classic yeah. tropes but there's still some humor floating around and some of the lyrics are like downright bizarre i mean kind of all over the place crazy i and, mean I, I say pervy i mean there's kind of a, a well and not even just the pervy right? part which there's definitely plenty of that i mean they always they have this kind of like tongue-in-cheek sexual thing going on yeah, right yeah. but then some of this stuff's just bizarre too i mean this is not like a, a lot of this is blues rock lyrics but then a lot of it's like kind of all over the place yeah, too so they're yeah. very different I, I i am convinced that velcro fly the whole reason that song exists is because of the line about it there ain't never a catch all you do is snatch and so i think <laughs> that they just wanted to use the word snatch but just just wrote a song just to get it in yeah just just to use that word um but I mean, there's a there's a lot of like well, horny hey, dude type there music. Is, this, and right? Think of how many kids sang the song Pearl Nicholas for years till they got old enough to figure out what the hell he was talking about. And it's know? not even. I mean, I, I, I call it double entendre. That's not double. It's just entendre. That's just right? straight up entendre. It's yeah, just yeah. Straight up like in your face sex. Yeah. So um, let, let's do a quick history of the band ZZ Top uh, because this is uh, my mother's influence. This is Texas. And if you want to get down to it, if I'm listing my favorite bands of all time, and if I'm going to tell you the, the greatest American rock bands of all time, 
on that list, at least top three is going to be ZZ Top because these guys define not only my childhood but our generation, and also they define what I consider to be the second wave of guitar rock throughout the entire world. I think that's a fair point. Um, I don't know if I'd list them quite up that high uh, on my personal list. Um, I'm not I'm not a big enough ZZ Top fan that I would buy a ticket and go to a concert, but I do appreciate their albums when they're on. How's not at that? this point. I mean, they're all in their 70s, right? Well, okay. Well, that's a fair point. I mean, they, they haven't released an album since La Futura, which was in 2012. Was that the one with the cover of the Houston hip-hop song on it? Uh, the, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah okay. the, uh, the, the 25 Lighters. 25, tw- something like, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Lighters song. Lighters on my dress. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I got to get paid. I got to get paid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Fat Pat, I think. Was, uh, I don't remember, but yeah, it's a Houston hip hop guy. Well, so. One of the one of the chopped and screwed guys. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, but the band, and of is, course, ZZ Top's a bunch of Houston boys. Well, There's one the of them is okay. So here's a quick quick history. Okay, uh, there are three people of ZZ Top. Uh, Dusty Hill, who is from Dallas, grew up in the Lakewood. That's right. Area. I uh, went to Woodrow Wilson High School. Graduated. Uh, in the uh, some, at some point in the earlier mid '60s, and he hooked up with a drummer by the name of Frank Beard, who was from Irving, from Texas. Irving. That's right. Went to Irving. So we had two Dallas, one Houston. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Frank was married, and I think even maybe had a kid at this point when they were like 20, and they had kicked around in some local bands and were pretty well known in the Dallas music world and again i've talked about dallas in previous episodes and all of texas there's a lot of music there's a big music culture people don't people think texas is like shit kickers and horses and cows and stuff the music culture in texas is dramatically unappreciated it absolutely and not just austin because that, that's, correct. that's that correct austin has a music culture but there are other people well i love it and robert earl keen both A&M. Went to texas a that's right uh if if you go into houston uh the I just said the chopped and screwed the, culture right, of, the, of that hip hop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's an entire world of there's a different style in in Houston rap than any other place in the whole world. Absolutely. I mean the and Tejano. I mean the the the, the, the conjunto from all the stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean from Doug South Texas Som, and yeah and San Antonio and Freddie Fender. Yeah. And, I mean, there's so much music because Texas is a big place, but Texas really is a breeding ground of, sure. of musical artists. Uh, but these two guys, Dusty Hill and Frank Beard, were buddies. Dusty played uh, a Fender P bass. Big old P bass, uh, uh, yeah. Just a, a plain old Telecaster bass. Uh, Frank played, I think he played, um, oh, what was the drum set he had? It wasn't a Slearland. It was, I can't remember what it was, but it was just a, just a basic five-piece drum set. On right? some of the 80s albums, he played a button. <laughs> I'm not even sure if he played the button. <laughs> That's a fair point. But those guys kicked around in some local bands. So they were a, a rhythm second rhythm section package. Yeah, like I, they, I, they had played together before in different That's groups. right. So, That's okay. right. Uh, Frank and his brother were in a band, and uh, I think his brother decided to quit. And these two guys were were pretty popular, and so they decided well, we've got to figure out a way to keep playing music. They heard about a uh, a guy down in Houston named William. Frederick Gibbons. Now, as much as I love Dusty Hill and Frank Beard, ZZ Top is the Reverend Billy Fred Gibbons. I agree with that. Uh, Billy Gibbons was in a band called the 13th Floor Elevators. Correct. Okay. And they split up, and he started a band called The Moving Sidewalks. Okay, so he was in The Moving Sidewalks while... The other two guys were still up doing their yeah. the 
club sh- club scene in Dallas and playing yep. and whatnot. Okay, that's right. So it's he would have been a little bit of a celebrity when they hooked up with him. Uh, he, he, so here's because the they recorded an album. The Moving Sidewalks did record an album, didn't they? They they did. As a matter of fact, they recorded an album at Robin Hood Studios in Tyler, Texas, where ZZ Top's first album was recorded. Gotcha. Okay. So he, here's the thing with with Billy Billy Gibbons. He's from the Tanglewood part mm-hmm. of Houston. Right. He went to uh, it, it's now called Robert uh, Margaret Long Wisdom High School, but it was Robert E Lee. High school. Okay. Went to school. Okay. Uh, Recently renamed, I'm sure. Yeah. So it, it, that's over. It, so you're from Houston, mm-hmm. Tanglewoods, uh, West, Southwest. Right. So I'm Southwest. It's a little bit, uh, it's more in towards the city than where I grew up. He says that he had a maid. He had a black maid that introduced him to 50s rock and roll when he was a kid, uh, including guitar pioneers like Muddy Waters and Robert Johnson. Helen Wolf, and she was always playing this music for him uh, and his, I think his sister. Uh, and there's, you can't tell with Billy, sometimes he, I think he exaggerates on some of his history. Sure. But but it sounds like maybe this maid maybe took took these kids to a blues Really interesting. at some point, and they heard these. And he just fell in love with it. Yeah, the, the Texas, Texas blues. Uh, he was in this band moving sidewalks and these guys are good enough that they get a call from the manager of Jimi hendrix that's right yeah and so Jimi hendrix takes them and they go on tour with Jimi hendrix and so uh and, and as we get into the album on zz top's first album we're going to hear some of that influence from Jimi. absolutely and you know and I, it's funny because i had always heard this story for years that Jimi hendrix had said that uh, who do you think's a great up and coming guitar player? Is, oh, this this Gibbons guy. And I was like, oh yeah, it's probably a. That's one of those stories that gets passed around. But I looked it up. The internet is a wonderful thing, kids. Hey. And uh, it actually, uh, Jimi Hendrix was on the Tonight Show, and they asked, and he was asked, and he said Billy Gibbons was one of America's best young guitarists. My goodness. He had just gotten off the just got. So it's a, it's a true story. It yeah, actually happened. Yeah. Can you imagine being called one of the best young guitarists by Jimi Hendrix at twenty or twenty-one years old? And so by Jimi Hendrix, by Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> amazing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think at this time is where Axis Bold as Love was coming out. He'd already done Electric Ladyland, okay, uh, and the Moving Stereos had come along. And so this was really towards the end of Jimi's life, right? At the peak of his popularity, Jimi died young at age twenty-seven. I think correct, he's in the correct. twenty-seven club. He's in the twenty-seven. I, I yeah. believe that's correct. Uh, Billy Gibbons was a tall lanky nerd his dad was a uh he was i think he was a band leader and a pianist a professional musician that when uh billy showed a proclivity to uh, to know music and he was good at it uh his dad bought him a fender no i'm sorry a gibson melody melody maker yes melody single he he made the melody who did melody make (laughs) i don't know um but his dad sent him to New York City to study under Tito Puente. Really? Yeah. That I did not know. That's because crazy. It, this was like at age 13. So he was a, a he was a savant when it came to music. And he got old enough to, uh, to move on to the next set of gear and was good enough that he ended up in this band uh, that was opening up for Jimi Hendrix. Touring the world, yeah, touring the world, what or at least you, so were they on the world tour or just the U.S. leg or did, just the U.S. just the U.S. leg, leg. yeah, okay. and 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 they didn't even play that many 
many songs with them, but it was enough that they like would sit around and jam and smoke a lot of weed. But still, still what kid, what aspiring musician in the world would like? I'll, I'll take two opening slots right. <laughs> and I'll be fine. This is I could I could I could drink beer on this at bars for the rest of my life, yeah. right? Uh, and when I was a kid, Billy Gibbons, like when I would hear him do his voice, uh, he was it was almost like he was an alien. You know, like like they would take him out of a case and like wheel him out on a dolly, set him up in front of a microphone and give him a guitar, and he would just like, act, you know, like I think I, you're talking about Mick Mars from uh, Molly yeah. Crew, actually. But. <laughs> that's true. That actually happened later. Like, I think that Sorry. was due to drugs. Uh, but but that's kind of that. I had this feeling that Billy Gibbons was this like alien creature that like. You know, they, they, well, they especially especially and, in the '80s with like the costumes and the beard and the sunglasses and like the weird voice and the tall, thin persona. And yeah, I totally get what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, he, he looked like something otherworldly. He and Dusty both had these long beards. By the way, that the way that came about is uh, they had gone through maybe seven or eight years of touring. They took a two and a half year sabbatical off. Uh, Billy actually went, I think, to, like to India. So, again, I always thought he was like this brainless blues guy, but because of the way he sounds. Sure. This is someone who is brilliant. He is like Mensa-level smart, Billy Gibbons is. And if you ever hear him speak, he's very eloquent in, in the way that he talks. If you go back, and I always thought of him like that. So when I would look at that watercolor picture on the back of ZZ Top's first album that my mother had, I, I, I didn't know who was who. You know, Dusty and Billy both had long beards. They both dressed the exact same way. Uh, so, I, I, when you look at this watercolor, it's it's this. Dusty's kind of a short, fat guy. Billy has this like really close, curly beard with glasses. And right. Frank Beard looks like he literally just like stepped out of a of a heroin house. You know, he just like he looks like such a stoner. But I don't know who they were. So I, I remember listening to this going, "That's definitely ZZ Top," but I don't know which one's which. Sure. And now, if you go back and listen to uh, to Billy talk he is he still is very eloquent uh, he's a uh, he's a guitar collector he has more he has guitars. a massive collection yeah. insane collection he has a, uh, a massive car collection uh and it, yeah, i think he's worth something like 70 or 80 million dollars i think it was 75 i think i saw that <laughs> did you really yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think it was 75 i mean it's, i could be wrong but i think it was 75 it's just kind of amazing that this guy was to me like larger than life and suddenly if you go back to his roots, this is somebody who, even as a young age, this is somebody who was very, very much considered one of the best of the right. best. Sure. Right. Absolutely. That's a good point. Uh, so let's let's talk about blues guitar real quick. You're a guitar sure. player. Uh, who, what guitar player wanted you – what made you want to play guitar? Well, that, that's a – we don't have enough time for that on the podcast, but – there was a lot of influence, and I think I mentioned this when we did our top ten. The first time I knew I wanted to play guitar was Jimmy Page mm. on Zeppelin. Um, but there's, you know, the guys, oh right, yeah, 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 from a Fool in the Rain. Fool in the Rain. I mean, yeah. It was the first time I knew I wanted to play guitar was when I heard that. But there's, there's a lot of, and a lot of it is blues. You know, Stevie Ray Vaughan, sure. obviously, when I was a kid, was was huge, and uh, that was kind of a big deal to be in another state and you were listening to Texas music. You know, yeah. you talk about like, you know, being somewhere and you got the shout out to home. So Stevie, guys like that, I mean, I always loved everything I loved, even though I was into rock, was very blues based. I mean, I think every guitar player goes, well, I won't say every guitar player, but a lot of us go through, you want to play the blues because it's a very guitar centered genre, right? It sure is. I mean, it, it is the genre where you have all of the excuses you could possibly want to constantly play. Yeah. In any other genre, they might call that overplaying. Uh, <laughs> in blues, it's just called playing blues. So, yeah, I mean, blues guitar is the, the, the great. I mean, that, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Texas, the tradition of the Texas trio, 
uh, I think started with ZZ Top. And again, this is why I love these guys so much. I, I can't tell you, my roommate in college, Aaron, uh, was a was a guitar, one of my guitar heroes. Uh, you, you and he remind me of each other uh, in that you're both extremely good guitar players. Sweet um, of you, thank you. Yeah, uh, well, and that. Uh, Listen, the comparison is good for him as well okay. because we're both good guitar <laughs> players. Uh, but he would would tell you that some of the stuff that he loves listening to uh, harkens back to that Texas trio. And the fact that three guys can make so much sound live and in a studio uh, is is remarkable. I agree completely. Yeah. And so you mentioned, Grace trios, you yeah. mentioned Stevie. Stevie mm-hmm. was in a trio. Right? Absolutely. Uh, let's do uh, so, some of my local favorites. Uh, Chris Duarte. Trio. Haddon Sayers. Trio. Trio. Uh, if, if you go to, um, gosh, uh, I think Ian Moore was a trio. Probably so. And so I mean, there's a tradition that starts with a badass guitar player. And a can, really hot rhythm section. And there it, you go. And a, and a bass guitar player who's laying down tracks just like right in step with a drummer. And a drummer who can do a lot of cool feels. But it really goes back to we're going to play something and then the guitar guy is going to tear it up. That to me started with ZZ Top's first album. So there. I think that's viable. I've, like give, that. I've given you a long, long-winded answer, but to me, that's where it goes back to. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so, let's talk timeline. Okay, blues guitarist uh, starts with Robert Johnson, Ro- the the great Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson, who recorded, by the way, one of his albums in Dallas, Texas. That's right, at a hotel in Dallas, Texas. Uh, he didn't. A lot of people think Robert Johnson died in Texas, but he didn't. He was he died in the Mississippi. He was correct. At yeah, a bar. at a bar. Yeah. Uh, there's a band that you and I. Went and saw in Vegas, which we've mentioned before, that on Stone Foxes. the Stone Foxes have an album, a song on one of their earlier albums called "I Killed Robert Johnson," and it's a, <laughs> this is a segue, but it's a it's a story from the point of view of the guy that put the poison in the bottle. Really, at, at, while they're at the bar, Robert Johnson's like hitting on his woman, and he's like, "Man, I, I ain't got to tolerate." Yeah, he's a this. jealous husband, right? It was, yeah, so it's a story from that guy's perspective about poisoning Robert Johnson. Anyway, wow, go check wow. out the Stone Foxes, kids. So Robert Johnson was in the '30s. And he was making sounds with a guitar that had never been made before. Correct. Uh, Muddy Waters, which, by the way, uh, shares a little bit of influence with the second ZZ Top album, which is Rio Grande Mud. Right. Howlin' Wolf. And also the third um, in Jesus Just Left Chicago, there's the lyrics, the reference, Muddy Waters Turn to Wine. You're right. Good catch. Good catch. Uh, John Lee Hooker was a huge influence on Billy. Billy loved John Lee Hooker. can see that. Uh, T-Bone Walker was a big influence. These guys from the 50s and the early 60s. And that also influenced the 60s British invasion rock. The Beatles. George Harrison was a young man, but they were doing they were doing blues stuff, right? I'm well, sure it's all based on that at some yeah, point, right? Yeah. Uh, the Stones are a blues band. They right? are, absolutely are. Yeah, the, the, they, were, they were playing blues. Eric Clapton, John Mayall. These guys were were guitar gods, but they got their stuff from American blues. Well, I'll say uh, you, you left out a notable one there, which is Led Zeppelin. Their their entire yeah, first yeah. album is half of its Willie Dixon stuff that Jimmy Page just rearranged. I really? mean, so this is a lot of this. This is very much blues. Yeah, uh, you're, amped up, electrified South, Southern American blues being done by British dudes. Well, and you know, uh, it's funny that you say that. The, the first iteration of Fleetwood Mac with um, was a blues band. Was yeah, before yeah. before Lindsey. Yeah, before they brought in Lindsey and Stevie yeah. when it was just uh, Mick Fleetwood. Yeah, and, Christine uh, McVie and what's uh, the bass player? John John McVie. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but the one I'm going to lead that, that I'm leading up to here is Jimi Hendrix, the guitar god. Uh, that 
the, the greatest guitar player to me that has ever existed is, is Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan got his influence from Jimmy Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix, yeah. He, that was his favorite guitar player. Yeah. Uh, but I also want to th- I think that Stevie also got a lot of influence from Billy Gibbons. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, especially being a lo- that, that's a local would have been a local hero yeah, when he was growing absolutely. up in a certain yeah. sense, right? And so, uh, Dusty and Frank head down to Texas. They hook up with with Billy Gibbons, and this down is Houston. In, and this is in 1969. Uh, Billy Gibbons had uh, his first group moving sidewalks went to Robin Hood Studios in Tyler, Texas, because his producer was a guy by the name of Bill Ham. From uh, from Waxahachie, I think is where he was from. Okay, uh, but he he managed Billy Gibbons. They went to Robin Hood Studios and cut an album, and it just didn't do anything. Billy comes back and starts putting together a new album, and so he his story goes: he was looking at some concert posters, and one was uh, there was a BB King. And there was a ZZ Hill, and so he thought it was cool that it was letter letter and then, word, yeah, a word that meant like something big. And so he took BB King and said ZZ, ZZ Top. Top, and so that's how the name ZZ Top came along. Got it. He had a band. Did you know that ZZ Top existed as a trio before Frank Beard and Dusty Hill got there? I did not know that. They did. They recorded an album at Robin Hood Studios. Really? And it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and so they never released. And so Billy Gibbons goes back to Houston, picks up these two guys, and immediately gets on the road and starts playing. Immediately falls in love with their musicianship because they are really, really solid. Dusty Dusty does not miss a one beat on the bass. Uh, Frank Beard can play the drums like most people can't at that point. And they all get on the road for six months, and then their producer, Bill Hamm, puts them back into the studio at Robin Hood Studios. But they were doing that because they couldn't find any other place to record, right? Sure, sure. But, I mean, that's really cool, though. Um, six months on the road and then you're recording an album, that's a, that's an amazing thing in bars? to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you've been playing in bars and you come in and you've got a – I read an interesting thing with uh, Gibbons when he was talking about recording this, that you know they're a three-piece, they're playing in bars, they're out on the road, and they get into the studio, and they wanted to keep it like they sounded, but – in the studio, you can do a little bit of overdubbing and having some fun with things, and so then you start to get this like kind of multi-layer, and it's not a lot, but you know, there's a couple couple rhythm tracks in there that you wouldn't get live, or um, you know, there's steel guitar on you know, a song, or, That's or right. you know, and things like that that they couldn't duplicate live, but they they had enough experience out on the road getting their songs tight that at that point they knew that they could come into the studio and kind of play around with it a little yeah. bit, and you get a much different album sound. Than you would have gotten, you know, with them playing in bars, yeah, because they yeah. they could do, they could play with the studio and have some fun with it and do that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and their producer specifically told uh, Robin Bryans, who owned, by the way, Robin Hood Studios is in Tyler, Texas, and it is just a house uh, where this, this guy put together a studio and he was recording in his house, and his son thought it was cool, and that's Robin Hood Bryans, who gotcha. had a little band in the early '60s, but his dad died, and so he took over the family business. Okay, very cool. They built a shed in the back, and uh, it became Robin Hood, Hood Studios. And this, it, the studio has uh, has these cedar shakes shingles in it. Really? Yeah. And they were using a uh, an MCI. That it's, it's a great big board that overlooks this open room. That apparently they took Tweed Deluxe Fender Tweed Deluxe amps. 
and that were bolted directly to the floor. So I, <laughs> that's crazy. I, ha- I have never heard of that, and not like I've got a huge amount of studio experience, but I've recorded in studios before. I have never even heard of such a thing. Well, that's crazy. So I was talking to my friend Barry. Uh, uh, hey, Barry, how's it going, buddy? Hello, Barry. Uh, Barry was he, he. I think Barry knows more about just that kind of stuff about musician stuff than, than just about anybody I've, I've ever talked to. Uh, but he just like straight out just told me he's like, you know, that first album was recorded through these these uh, Tweed Deluxe amps and using Pearly Gates. Gotcha. So here we are to Pearly Gates. Hey, here we are to Pearly Gates. We're going a long way here for one album. That's but okay. It's, it's an important there's a, album. There's though. a huge setup here. Pearly Gates is a guitar. Is a specifically a fifty nine Les Paul. Yeah, a, a fifty nine Gibson Les Paul standard. Sorry, I left the Gibson part out. There when were, I say Les Paul, I just assume everybody knows it's a Gibson. <laughs> there were three hundred and fifty of these things made, and one of them ended up at some rancher's house in Houston. Billy Gibbons had a friend who was a girl that uh, she wanted to go to L.A. for a movie. That's right. He had a car. It was an, either a 1936 or a 39 Packer. I'm not sure. He he says both in different interviews. Uh, but it was an old, if you ever, like, think of, like, the old gangster movies, that old gangster-looking car. Right. That's what this was. And that's what, that was their band car. Well, she wanted to go to L.A., and so he told her. And, by the way, the name of that car was Pearly Gates because they figured if it could get anywhere without breaking down, that it had to be some sort of act of God. <laughs> divine intervention (laughs) this girl uh they they say you can take this car out to la she hops in a car makes it to la and she gets the part and so she ends up sending him she wires him the money for the car i'm buying the car from you 250 bucks that same day somebody said hey weren't you looking for a les paul and he says yeah and they said there's a guy out here that has one and so they went to this this rancher's house and the guy said yeah you can buy it i'll Take whatever you, whatever you think is worth. He said, "How about two fifty? I got two fifty in my pocket." And so that's how that's how he ended up with that in, wow. in Billy Gibbons' hands. So he still owns that guitar. That's right. At least, according to what I read, and he, I read that he was offered five million dollars for it once and turned it down. Wow. So it, it is. It is one of the most famous guitars. It is. I would it say BB King's Lucille is probably the most famous guitar. Right. I, that's right up there. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Second of all, and very close to that, would be Billy Gibbons' Pearly Gates. He named it Pearly Gates after the guitar, after the car. Uh, makes sense. He got the money for it. Why not just it keep it going? Right. Yeah. Every single album that Billy Gibbons has ever recorded on, and I've read, I, I don't know if it's true or not, but it even says every single track that he's ever recorded has Pearly Gates at some point. Uh, at some, Whether it's a rhythm track or a lead or something, that, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And so uh, if... If he took Pearly Gates out on the road today, it would never hold up. And so it's a very special guitar. And like you say, $5 million. Hey, it was on the internet. It must be true, right? It's got to be true. But, I mean, I I could totally imagine some very, very wealthy fan going, man, would you – hey, honey, that would look great hanging over the dining room table, right? (laughs) In my man cave. Exactly. This would be perfect. (laughs) This guitar, if if you can think of – if you know what a Les Paul looks like, it has a very specific look to it, kind of a rounded butt. Uh, it has a cut cut ends on the top and the bottom. Uh, what, just the bottom, just the bottom. Yeah, the, okay. the, the top's still rounded. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Excuse gotcha. me. So you can get your get your hand all the way up there on the bottom and play those high notes. I see. Get I those see. high frets. And it has. The, but you're right. It's a beautiful and very very specific looking guitar. Yeah, and and, and his pearly gate specifically is a cherry sunburst, which is yellow that you can see the wood grain, right. and it fades into this beautiful color of red. 
background on the outside. It's a gorgeous guitar. If I think that those are humbucker pick, they are humbucker pickups. It's got, it's got two humbuckers in it, neck and bridge position, and it's got a selector switch. You can go back and forth. Gotcha. And the the bridge, the bridge, which is the one you know, down towards the bottom, is going to mm-hmm. be the hot kind of real trebly one, and then the one up by the neck is the baser, the kind of warmer one. So you can change the tone with that switch? Correct, that and it makes, it, it makes a pretty dramatic difference when you go back and forth between the two. Gotcha. Does, does it have, uh, it doesn't have the whammy bar? Correct. It's a fixed, it's a hard hard bridge. Okay. Okay. So the, the whammy bar is that little stick that hangs off that you'll see uh, Stevie for sure playing Yeah, you see it. those on Fender Strats a lot, and yeah. uh, a lot of other, a lot of guitars from the 80s. My PRS has one on it. I mean, it's kind of common, but the, it's uncommon on a Les Paul. So for the people who aren't guitar nerds, what what does that little stick hanging off of the, the, wh- the whammy do? bar? The whammy bar. It, so when you when you press down on it or pull up on it, it actually moves the bridge up and up or depresses it down in relative position. So it actually takes the strings so and, and moves them out of pitch, if you will. Gotcha. So if you're like, you kind of. Sorry, folks, that didn't sound very good, but it, it moves, just like that, just like just like that is what it sounds like. It just it moves the bridge back and forth, so it changes the sound. I see. So if you if you press it against the guitar, what does it do? So if you press it in, it pulls the bridge up. And so it lowers the like, wow. Well, it pulls, and yeah, and then if you pull it up, it pulls it back. Right. I got it. Got it. Makes sense. Gotcha. Now, it, was it Jimi Hendrix because he was left-handed and he played a, stra- a strat, correct? A Fender Stratocaster, correct? But he played. A right-handed strat flipped over, flipped over, strung for a left-handed player. Correct. Which meant that his whammy bar would have hung over the strings. Is that right? Because the whammy bar connects at the bottom. It, it does. Um, usually, you can kind of move them, and they will uh, kind of stay out of the way. You can kind of shift it down and, and keep it so it doesn't have to be over the strings. It, that'd make playing very difficult. It would obviously, be. yeah. But but if I if I remember correctly, I've seen videos of that bar just kind of dangling. And it probably would. He probably got used to it. Um, there, there's a going off on a tangent here, but there's another guitar player from Dallas, Doyle Bramhall Jr. Doyle Bramhall Jr. And he actually uh, he he was. Uh, Clapton's back touring backup guitar player for quite some time, but he's also got uh, Bramall, He's also got uh, quite a few albums of his own. But he actually is a lefty, but he plays it strung upside down. Hmm. So he actually he plays, plays it strung like it's strung for a right, but it's so left. he just takes the guitar and flips it over. Right. So when you try like that used to really bother me if I was trying to like look at his hands and figure out what he was doing because all the chords are <laughs> everything's backwards. It makes no sense. That's insane. Yeah. That's that's really crazy if I think about that. It, it is. I'm. If you uh, give me anything to do with my left hand, like throw a ball or play a guitar, it, it looks like I have palsy with my left hand. <laughs> uh, so I, just the idea that you could flip that over and play it like that. If I try to use chopsticks with my left hand, I'll be. I'll have no eyes. <laughs> so Billy had uh, Pearly Gates, this guitar, this Fender guitar that is unmatched in sound. And when he was on the road, uh, he played this guitar through a massive stack of amplifiers and power units. Uh, the head units he used were the uh, that was the Fender Super Lead, I believe. Uh, I think he used the Marshall Super Lead. Marshall, oh, yeah, yeah. Mar- yeah, Marshall, the, the hundred watt, yeah, yeah. hundred watt Marshall Super Ma- Lead. Marshall Super Lead, which is a big, loud amp. Yeah, and and that is a tube amp. Correct. Yeah, and a tube amp means back then they were vacuum tubes that uh, these things would take a take electricity and fire them through a series of these vacuum tubes so that you get what's called clipping so every once in a while in our recording uh, if i have our levels set too high you're going to hear it where it gets kind of staticky up at the top it's almost like it it overloads the system well for a guitar player 
that's what you want, right? Well, yeah, that's when you start to get the the kind of big gnarly tones, the the dirty stuff, yeah. um, which is which is what you're after. So, right uh, now, tube amps can sound really clean too. It just depends on how much you dial up the the gain back or forth, right? But, how but much you're pushing that signal through there. When you get those things hot, they glow, right? Oh yeah, and they're hot to the touch. That's uh, if, if you have one go out on you when you're playing and you go to take it out, you'll you'll know it's they get warm. Really, yeah. and and in in that um, in that Marshall Super Lead, there was a series of like three or four of these tubes, right? That sounds right. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, we're talking about a lot of power that's running. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a hundred watt amp. That, that's a that's a lot that's of a power. Lot of power. Yeah. Th- those uh, they would take these cabinets, uh, these Marshall cabinets that had four either twelve inches or four inch uh, woofers inside of them with uh, with a horn tweet, I believe. Yeah, I think he played a four. So he. It would have been like a four by twelve cabinet with the headset, so it's two separate pieces of gear, right? You've got the head, and then the head runs a speaker down, uh, cable down into the speaker. Got it. But then you can run to multiple speakers, so you always see the like the stage shows where they've got just like racks of speakers right. set up, and it, that, that's what they're doing. Thank you so much for saying that. You're it, welcome. On their tours, as they started getting big uh, with with um, after Rio Grande, Grand Mutt and Trace Ombres, if you see them, they had these stacks where they would take two of these cabinets that had four speakers in it and have two of those side by side and then stack another two on top of that and one stack would be billy's on each side and the other stack would be dusty's on either side so that they could hear each other back and forth and so from what i understand zz top was just about the loudest fucking thing that it ever had been when it came to rock and roll I, I can imagine that's probably the case that's a whole lot of amplification man it is um quick note at one point billy had his own line of amplifiers and they were called Rio Grands. And the the logo for his amps were a little palm tree. I did not know that. If you go back and look at the early ZZ Top stuff, when they started getting the, the goofy 10-gallon right, right, hats right. and the, 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 the uh, Porter Wagner suits <laughs> right yeah, that, that whole look and the, the texas the texas tour where they had like the, the horse and the steer and the, right. the buzzards and, and shit uh if you go back and look on their stacks that they had they had it says a rio grand and there's like a little palm tree there so was that uh was that actually manufactured for him or was he private labeling something else I, I, I don't know the answer to that i'm gonna have to find that out i'm fascinated now he has a book that goes through all of his gear that he uh someone like he he it was a ghost written with some other guy. Okay, I, I read a little bit of it, and I'm not a big. I, I didn't. I didn't care for the book. I thought it was pretty elementary. Sure. Um, and he goes into his life about his cars and all of his guitars. And well, he's a certifiable gearhead. He totally. I is. mean, the, the list of stuff that he has, um, the amount of guitars that he has that he actually uses versus the amount of guitars he has that he actually plays is. Uh, he's just got a massive collection. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, he played uh, this very first album, ZZ Top's first album. Uh, he played the same guitar through their uh, through their album Deguayo. Wow! And once they got there, then he started messing around with a lot of his with other stuff. Yeah, uh, Bo Diddley gave him a guitar. That's uh, do you remember the which guitar that is? It's a, it's a funky looking. It's, it's kind shape. of a square looking weird thing, but it's not actually a square. But that's the best way I can describe it. It's just it's. Strange. It's weird, yeah. Yeah, and then that's the same guitar or a model of it that he went and had wrapped in the sheepskin when they were doing the... Th- that's a Gretsch. Well, but he's, I think he's got a couple of them, does I think oh, he, he's got a couple of sheepskin the, the, ones. The one that twirled was was some kind of funky Gretsch, but he also had this guitar called a Billy Bow 
that was uh, it was yeah yeah Thunderbird something I don't know I mean it, it's it's shaped weird it is a weird looking shaped guitar well I've seen him play numerous things and clips over the years but he always the Les Paul seems to be a big one and then the, the that one as well yeah yeah so uh, and and they really changed the, the modern stuff the, the Eliminator uh, Sharp Dress Man and Velcro Fly really that all changed on that El Loco album which by the way. Uh, refers to loco weed so it was a marijuana oh, God. reference <laughs> okay. but they they scrubbed all the marijuana stuff off and so that that's what that el loco that's what that's referring to gotcha okay yeah. so let's talk a little bit about the structure of this album okay go for it this album is in 12 bar blues there is a focus on a simple structure of the music with a focus on the musicianship like you talked about where you had extremely good powerful musicians playing extremely powerful music with very simple songs sure absolutely i mean the the 12 bar blues structure is pretty straightforward and anybody that's ever heard a blues song knows what it sounds like and there's a lot of uh repeated uh lyrics back and forth you get a lot of the the same thing you know two 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 lines and repeat you know a lot of plays on words and stuff like that but it's it's very straightforward there's not much to it um, and I don't mean that derogatorily in any fashion whatsoever. I mean, it's, it's great music, and it's obviously stood the test of time. Everybody loves the blues. Yeah, right? And if yeah. you don't, then, <coughs> excuse me, I don't think we could be friends. Um, it, it's hard It's hard not to like the blues because the blues goes back to a very simple structure. Sure. I mean, it's, it's simple, anyone can understand it's, it's it, It's simple right? structured. It's, uh, it's, it's sing-along type material. Um, you can see it, it can be sad, it can be happy, it can be whatever, but the music structure stays the same. Um, and you get a couple of verses, you, you, know, you get a guitar intro, you get a couple of verses, you get a guitar solo, you get another verse. might be the same as the first, might be a little bit different, and then you go back out again. I mean, it, it, that's kind of, I, I'm simplifying it, but it's a simple structure. Well, you know, thank you for being simple. Let's get complex. Go for it. Let's talk about 12-bar blues. A rock and roll song, for the most part, you can pick up a guitar, and if you can play the chord G and C, and D, you can, you can get a lot of them. Yeah, just about anything on there. Yeah, you get a lot of them. Yeah, and and those are all major chords. Uh, you slip in an A minor or an E minor, and you've probably picked up another half of the songs that you left sure. out. And so, uh, rock and roll really isn't all that difficult. With blues, it's even more simple. That what G, C, and D are. If you take, if you take a song and you put it. Uh, into uh, into a specific key. So let's just take, in this case, let's take E. Okay, easy, easy one. Perfect. You, you play E. If you play the major chords up to the fourth note in the E major scale, you're going to land on the note A. Correct. Okay. So if E is the key we're playing in, let's call that one. If you go up to A, let's call that four. And then if you go up one more on the E scale, you're going to go to the fifth, which would be B. Right. This is one, four, five. This is one, four, five. That, my friend, is 12-bar blues. And the nice thing about that is that if, you, like, so if, you're, if you're playing with somebody and you're playing the blues and it's one, four, five, all you got to know is what you're starting in. It's one four five and G. Then you need. Then you know where you're going from there. So, if it's so one four five and E. Then, like you just said, you know where you're going from there. So if 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 someone walks up to you as a guitar player and says, "We're doing twelve bar blues in G," okay. What are the notes? What's what's the one four five? Well, it's going to be G is the one, and then C is the four. Is the four right? 
and then the five is going to be D. D, yeah. yeah. And so if someone says... And once again, folks, that those of you that weren't here, um, if you asked me to play it, I'd play it. You asked me to tell you what it is, I had to take my fingers and go, one, <laughs> two, three, four, five. <laughs> you can't see it at home, but he actually did shape <laughs> it. Uh, so it, when, you, when you play by feel, sometimes it's hard to just like rote memory... Right, exactly. Out there. Uh, but the cool thing about that is you can go to a guy like Billy Gibbons and go, we're playing this in G. It's one for Here we five. go. Right. right. Uh, specifically 12 bar blues. A normal song is played with four beats to a measure or a bar. And the structure goes like this. The first four, that's one, two, three, four. That's played in your one chord or in your, in your one note. Right. The next one is going to be played in your four. Right. So you've got one for one bar, four for one bar, and then you're going to go back to the one for back two to the bars. One. Okay. So we have our first section of of a song, and that's why you end up with uh, typically like the repeating lyrics in a lot of blues songs because it's just following along with the with exact the, same thing. Exact right? same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, if it, if it's A B C that we're doing or one four five, we go A B A. A. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've gone one bar with one four, uh, one bar with four. And we go back to one for two bars. Then we're going to go to four for two bars. And then we're going to go back to one for two bars. We're going to go to the five for a four count. We're going to go to the four for a one count. We're going to do something called a turnaround. Exactly. And then we're going to play one, four, five. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to give you an example of a simple, basic blues song using 12 bar blues in a one four five this is our favorite albums stick around Attention retail store owners. Listen for yourself and your customers. RetailProDemo.com will increase your profitability and efficiency. This tailored retail management software handles your front-end point of sale, improves customer experience, streamlines store operations and back office applications with powerful reporting and analytics. With concierge-level implementation and hands-on training, RetailPro, powered by complete data systems, will take your business to the next level. Visit RetailProDemo.com. That's RetailPro. Demo.com. Welcome back to our favorite albums. Today we are breaking down ZZ Top's first album. Now that is both ZZ Top's first album in description as well as in title because this is in fact ZZ, ZZ Top's, Top's first, first album. album. We are about to break down the 12th bar blues. 12 bar blues is going to be played in three, three notes. The one, the four, and the five. And it sounds something like this. Two, two, three, four. Back to the one. Two, three, four, and one more time. Now he's going to go to the four. Five. To the one. Two, three, four. He's going to stay there for two bars. Now on this one, he's going to go to the five. He's going to fall down to the four. And then do a turnaround. And 
And that is the 12-bar blues. If you hear a blues song, that's exactly how all of them are going to be played. You count to four 12 times, and you do it in a one, four, one, four, one, five, four, turn around, one, four, five. And it's the same in every key. Every single that, that's one. That's all there. I mean, that, that was an E, and E and A and B, which are... That's as classic as it gets, really. As classic but as it gets, right. G is very popular. You know, open G was a big one for the Southern Blue, you know, the Delta Blues guys. But right. once again, it's all the same thing. Yeah, Keith Richards played a lot of open. Tons G's, of right? open G, yeah, yeah, which is very frustrating as an aspiring guitar player when you're looking at his hands and trying to figure out what the heck he's playing. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, but, but you could go to an A. A, a would be A, Absolutely. D, and E. Correct. Uh, literally, all you need to know is what that root chord is. And then, for the most part, you just know we're playing 12-bar blues. Yeah. And, and, and I would I would argue that uh, most you know a lot of people know theory, but most guitar players, if you pick up and play the blues, you don't have to. You just need to know where the you know where those particular chords are, and everything else is just it's all feeling fun at that point. Yeah, and, and what's cool about this is that Billy, even as a young as a young man at twenty twenty one years old, he was emulating John Lee Hooker. He was em, emulating these guys with these these, these marble mouth blues singers. Right, right. Great big fat tones. And he was doing that. If you listen to like Hall, 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 exactly. Hall, that's what he was doing. Uh, the, the song Lagrange is copied completely from Boogie Chillin' by John Lee Hooker. Absolutely. Right? Uh, it's an homage, if you will. As a matter of fact, John Lee Hooker even does Hall, 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 Hall in. And that's where Gibbons got it from, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, by the way, his estate sued Billy Gibbons. Did you know that? <laughs> did not Unsuccessfully, know that. but yes, they did go to court uh, to try to sue I him guess you it. can't copyright a ha, 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 ha. No, you can't copyright ha, 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 ha. Nor should you be able to. But here in America, you can damn near try. You can try. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so Billy, he was this young kid with this old man blues voice, a bit of an affectation that he was putting on so that he sounded like blues. And what they did was they went to Robin Hood's studios in Tyler, Texas, and the producer, Bill Ham said, I don't want any overdubs. I want this to be just like it sounds when they go on stage. Just this du- is a duplicate your live show, basically. Yeah. yeah. The engineer, the brilliant Robin Hood, Hood Bryans, knew that there's no way in the world he could make this trio sound different than any other blues band, right? Unless he did overdubs. So he told Bill Ham, I need you to go get us some ribs out of the country tavern. <laughs> that's right. That's and he right. said, it's just over, just down this road. And so Bill Ham took off, and he didn't know that it was about an hour and a half drive to get over to the country tavern. So he takes off, and he's Texas to go get some ribs for the boys. And as soon as he le- leaves, Robin Hood Brines turns towards Billy Gibbons and says, all right, this is what we're going to do. You're going to play a simple rhythm and then I'm going to jack with these strings a little bit and get them out of tune, and you're going to play the exact same thing, and we're going to overdub it. And by the time they got back, they had two tracks laid down, and it sounded so good that when Bill Ham came in and listened to it, they knew for sure that that was the ZZ Top sound that forever gotcha. we would know. All the way up through this shitty La Futura album that they put out, <laughs> that is the ZZ Top sound. That's exactly what that is. Yeah, their, right? their guitar sound is very. Their, their whole sound is very distinctive. Robin Hood Brines, the engineer of this album. Uh, by the way, this was on London Records. I have a fun fact for you about London Records. Go. So London Records distributed the early Rolling Stones releases in the United States. Really? Yeah. Billy Gibbons did an article, an uh, interview with Guitar World. And he said the only thing that kept us going on that first album was the fact that we had the opportunity to release a record on the same label as the Rolling Stones. How cool. How cool is that, right? Yeah. Obviously, that is 
would be an amazing thing for a young guy, right? Like, yeah, I absolutely. We're, we're going to release my record or the Rolling Stones record. I mean, it was only for the U.S. distribution. That wasn't their record distribution overseas. But gotcha. I thought that was a really cool. And there's a difference between a record label and the studio. The studio is actually the correct, physical correct. room where they record, right? Correct. That's right. All the other albums uh, after that were done at Ardent Studios in Memphis. Just this one album was done in, at Robin Hood Studios. Okay. Interesting. So then. Let's get into it. Let me make sure I have all my notes here. Young kid with an old man blues voice. Simple structure. Focus on musicianship instead of a profound story. Sex, sex, <laughs> sex. There's a little um, bit of that. Bill Ham, the manager, was the guy who found Clint Black in the 90s. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Frank Rube. Uh, Frank Beard, his his nickname was Rube Beard. And so on this album, he's actually credited as Rube, Rube Beard. Rube, Rube, okay. Yeah, that's Frank Beard. And the other, uh, this is like the most non-surprising trivia of all. The one guy in ZZ Top that didn't have a big, long, stupid beard was was Frank Beard. Was Frank Beard, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which uh, I think, uh, that's hilarious. It, it's, it's, it's really funny. Uh, he tried to grow a beard, by the way. And he tra- he gets scruff, but that was it. So he just couldn't pull off he the epic level off. beard of the other yeah. two guys. But you know what he could do is take copious amounts of drugs. <laughs> and so he got to a point where he was unreliable in the studio. And so that's why. <laughs> Hence my drum machine reference from earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he even says, I mean, he, he ruined a relationship or two. It uh, just couldn't keep his drugs under control. And so, but when he was under control. He played he was, very well. He was yeah. very solid. On this one, he absolutely was. Uh, let me make sure I have all my notes here. I got John Lee Hooker. I got B.B. King. I got Helen Wolf. Jimi Hendrix. El Loco. Drug Addiction. Check. Melody Maker. Check. Overdubs. Check. Let's get into this. This is ZZ Top's first album. The very first song is Somebody Else Been Shaking Your Tree. Now, I want to point out that we're doing a lot of talking on this one, probably more so than we would any others. The reason is because this is, again, a 35 or 36-minute Yeah, 35-minute album, album, yeah. yeah. I want to focus on a few things. I want to focus on the texture of the sound inside of this album. Robin Brines was a brilliant engineer and would move microphones all around and made this incredible sound. Plus... Listen for a guitar. Oh, absolutely. That's that's going to be a big big piece of this, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But listen to more than just the lead. Also listen to the rhythm that's being played in the background. Uh, and listen on that rhythm to see if you can tell that there were overdubs, that there were multiple takes just slightly out of tune on those guitars. Right off the bat, we've got some overdubs, right? And we do. Plus, we got that pedal steel, that steel yeah. guitar back there. Well, and that's that's what I'm referring to as well. I mean, there's there's no way he's playing three guitar parts at the same time. This, yeah. So this is one of my two favorite songs on this album. It's cool. Isn't I, it? I, I love the, the it's that Texas boogie groove thing going on there in the background. So that sound of pearly gates back there. He's playing on top of the notes. Yeah, he's playing back there. He's got a. Left ear, we got this. Right ear, he's got some riffs and even this like little broken chord thing going on. And then that pedal steel in the background. It's a very lush sound for yeah. a little Texas blues trio. So he hasn't even gotten into rocking just yet. Oh, no, they're just, there's, there's they're just going. Yeah. It's so, once again, they open up with what is uh, classic blues subject matter. 
bad girl. His old lady's been fooling around on him. Yeah. Somebody else has been shaking your tree, honey. I know they have. You're yeah. supposed to save that for me. And, and the way he's going to get back at her is time for me to plant another tree. I'm going to go right. plant another tree. That's right. There's the five. Yes. So we're going to go to the four at some point. Well, I guess they stick with the five on this one. Well, they could, it's a, this isn't a 12-bar structure, but they don't follow it straight all the time, right? They have some fun with it. This is what we're here for. Harmony, sing like echo back and forth, background vocals. That's really cool. Touch. Dusty and Billy had an incredible synergy together. Oh yeah, in their harmonies. It's planting time. Yeah, that's right. I've lamented the fade out, and this is no. This is a first album. Uh, it's it's done in a, a country studio. Right. They did that fade out there. I absolutely hate that. But I, I wish they just would have ended the song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's him kind of playing around on the on the pedal steel just a bit. But, but once again, it's it's the guy in the in the booth going, "All right, now just give me a few more takes. We'll we'll, we'll just we'll just move the fader down <laughs> later. Don't worry about it." Either that, or he's he's pulling his hair out, going, "What do you mean you didn't write an end to this song?" <laughs> Screw it! We'll just fade it out. We'll just fade it out. <laughs> so, what what did we hear from this very first very first song? Well, I mean, this this is uh this is blues, yeah, but it's definitely not. It's it's kind of amped up a little bit, right? I mean, the pedal steel obviously not an addition you would find in a typical blues trio, yeah. But um, but you would find in a Texas bar. Well, sure, band, ab- right? absolutely. So there's there's the Texas influence yeah. show in there. Um, it definitely has a little bit more of a countryish vibe to it. Not sure. even just with that, uh, the structure's almost. Super blues. They they play they they have the turns and everything like you talked about, but they definitely play around with some of the format a little bit to make it their own, yep. which is cool. Um, bass, drums, Texas boogie thing going on is great. You know, a, lot, a lot of cool bass fills on that. It, it's 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 a great track. I said one of my two favorites on here, and I love the fact that the lyrics are just that straight up blues subject matter. Yeah, Robin Hood Brian said that ZZ Top took the blues and made it rock and roll party. I can see that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's a good way to put it. Second song in this on this album is Brown Sugar. Now recorded listen. a year before the Rolling Stones recorded the song of the same name. That's right. Uh so in in the, has that he has that marble mouth blues affectation. Right, he right. puts it on here. Listen real close. It's almost like his tongue <laughs> Right. But if you, again, if you think about it, ruble round. Yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. He's doing that fat tongue, that more affectation. He's copying John Lee Hooker on this thing. But I also want to point out that there are two vastly different parts of this song. The first part that is very much John Lee Hooker, and then listen to the intro to the second part that is very much Jimmy inspired. Listen very close and tell me that it doesn't sound like um, I think it's Voodoo Child that he does. Okay, a, okay. The kind of the feedback leading in. Uh, by the way, Brown Sugar. All these songs have to deal with pervy sex for whatever reason. And this was real easy. This, the lyrics are going to go, I got to get me some of that brown sugar. It's exactly. going to change my life. And so you immediately think, well, he's, you know, he's 
kind of being racist on this, right? Uh, just like I always thought that the Rolling Stones song was racial. But did you know that brown sugar also referred to heroin? Heroin, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so when he says... I got to get some brown sugar. My friends tell me it's going to change my life. Right, exactly. Yeah, so suddenly it's not about... But it can be. It, it could go either way, right? Well, again, that's that double entendre. Exactly. You know, it's exactly. maybe even triple entendre. So... Here, here's yeah. the virtuosic playing of Billy Gibbons that... I, I can't tell you how many times I've listened to this album and just sit there and listen to him play. And, and you're right, that is so... Like John Lee Hooker. Let's do his voice. Man, there's something gonna change your life. A fat tongue. Oh yeah. Keep in mind, this is some kid from the suburbs. Right. Exactly. Yeah. My friends all told me. And yeah, mm, my friends told me. Man, there's gonna change your life. Gonna go to the five. Gotta have that brown sugar. And then the four. Man, that's gonna change my life. There's a turnaround. Straight, yeah. Yeah, this is just 12 bar blues. Just straight up, bro. Yeah. Man, I got the hell the brown sugar. Man, it's just gonna make me feel so right. <laughs> All this is window dressing for that for the guitar playing, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. All right, let's, listen to that. That's hot, right? Uh, very much so. Burning those Tweed Deluxe. Okay, listen for the Jimmy inspired stuff here. Foxy Lady. That and Voodoo is? Child, too. He, he does a lot of that. Like a totally different song. Absolutely, absolutely. That's rocking. Yeah. Man, if you can't rock out to that, you and I can't be friends. <laughs> Let's hop to the five right here. Back to the four. Now turn it around. So I said they're playing in the structure, yeah. but they're doing some, some interesting new things with it. And there was nothing else like this. There was blues, there was rock and roll, but there was nothing like this. I think you make a good point. And the bridge between hard rock, you know, with Black Sabbath uh, and the Led Zeppelin stuff, you know, it was heavy guitar stuff. Right. Uh, but this was really that bridge for that, and it was American-based. Well, yeah, with the, the the Brits were doing the blues-based stuff, too, but this definitely doesn't sound like it's got some influences from it, but this sounds more Texan specifically. Yeah. That's as bluesy a lead riff as you can get. That's know? crazy good, yeah. right? Listen to that rhythm section. Just, I mean, lay down one, two, three, four, and it, they don't miss. Let's talk about Dusty Hill's bass playing for a minute. That's easy, easy to get lost in this mix of the big guitars going on and the vocals and everything. But if you listen closely, that guy is playing some really sick shit back there. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, is yeah. just playing all over that neck and riffing. I mean, and it's on, nothing, a four, on a four-string yeah, bass, it's, not anything it's, crazy. It's nothing either, flashy. Right? I mean, he's not walking up and down the neck or doing like big riffs and stuff, but just the way he plays around the notes on that, it, it yeah. adds so much sound, and it's just so... It adds to that boogie feel. 
That is hot, hot music. It is. And you can you can hear the influence that will come later in this, which is funny because this is such a I mean, this album didn't even chart. I don't think. No, but, but, no, not even at all. There's yeah. not a hit on this. Yeah. Well, I said I never listened to it before, but you listened to it. My first thought was like, this sounds like. But it doesn't, as you pointed out, because it came out before all the things I thought it sounded like. Yeah. Like, these, this is a really foundational album for like a lot of Southern rock, really. When we get into this, there, there's going to be a song that we get to uh, that sounds so much like a rock and roll song that everybody knows. Yes, I, I have that in my notes, too. Yeah. It, it, it's ama- the, the reason I love this album so much is because if you go back and listen to what was happening after it, there was Southern rock. This wasn't Southern rock. This was Texas rock. And... But Texas rock didn't exist, before, right? But this right? Th- this is kind of this Southern rock ends up sounding like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. God damn, that's hot. It's fantastic. Twenty-something-year-old kid too. He's very burning it up. He's killing it. We're gonna fade out again. God dang it! Two songs, two, two fade out. Two songs, two fade outs. <laughs> All right, we we got to talk about this. Okay, next. this this is an interesting track coming up here lyrically. Okay, so and because the uh, so the song's name is Squank Squank, which interestingly, if you Google Squank, you will come up Whew. with. So many potential interpretations for that word, and most of which you don't want there, to read. It's the most filthy. Mom, please don't Google squank. Just d- don't. But you, you know what? And if you do, if you get to Urban Dictionary, don't read. <laughs> just don't read what it says. I, I'm, I'm just going to say stank and squid. <laughs> right, the word there you go. Squank. That's all so, I'm going to say. So, but once again, there's a whole lot. But okay. The but I did find something that was very interesting when I googled this. Um, after you filter through all the Urban Dictionary <laughs> definitions to it. But it is also a sound emitted from a guitar when striking the string with the pick at a slight angle, as opposed to striking the pick aligned parallel to the string. Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top uses this technique a lot. Good examples of this are in the song LaGrange. You're kidding. I am not kidding at all. So how funny is it that here I was talking about how, A, how smart this is this is like this is smart guy stuff but the other thing is the double entendre it's not double entendre it's just tundra but it is double entendre it, it absolutely is and so yeah i mean this has got and then the lyrics to this are actually this like crazy thing about like this like mucus monster coming up and like eating the world and everybody needs to run away so it's like it's almost like this like psychedelia insanity you know mom please just don't, don't go to urban dictionary google squake just trust that Jason. What Jason just said is that it's a guitar pick. I had, I had to go. I had to go like a page into Google to find that. By the way, but you, you didn't do images, did you? No, no, no. This is a squeak. Now this features both Billy and Frank on and uh, Dusty. Dusty on vocals, right? Yeah. They're kind of they go back and forth a little bit, yeah. Like uh, in in the pans, like right now you should be yeah, doing yeah. this on the left side, yeah. And Dusty's gonna be on the right side right. when he sings, right? I love that bass line. Yeah. Some of the overdub. That's Dusty. 
should hear, hear this in your yeah, right it's side. It's to the right. It's to the right, right. yeah. It was almost some chicken pig in there, wasn't it? A little bit, yeah. Back and forth. He painted yeah. back and forth, right? Between left and right some channels. Fun studio tricks. I mean, you can hear there's a little bit of a... I mean, it's a professional recording, but it's not... You know, the mix is a little buried, right? It's uh, not overproduced by any stretch of the imagination. How's that? Yeah. I probably would have panned up. I mean, I would have brought this level up just a little bit, just so I could hear the guitar a little bit more. Sure, sure. He's doing that fat tongue thing again. Yeah, he is. are so spot on tight the the guitar that's going on in my right ear is fantastic he's just been playing the whole time he doesn't really stop yeah Ludwig is, is the uh, the drums that Frank Beard played. Gotcha. Okay. Played a Ludwig gotcha. Set. Hey, and we actually got an ending that time. We did. Bum, 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 Yay, bum. endings. Uh, this is Going Down to Mexico. This is probably my least favorite song on the whole. Really? Yeah. D- Dusty sings this one. Uh, it's about a ride of passage pilgrimage down Just to... like going across the border so party a little bit. Yeah. Shit's gone down. He's got to get to Mexico. It's a Texas thing, right? Gotcha. Gotcha. Especially back in the like late 60s, early 70s when you could just like, go do that for fun. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. like a magical quality to this right sure like that troubadour thing where someone kind of like the ghost rider or, or riders on the sun hey, here we go yeah someone there there's definitely some interesting like psychedelia lyrics going on yeah i hope the texture of this sound can come through to those of you listening at home because if you close your eyes and listen really closely there is a it's almost like an orb of sound and electricity and weird pervy sex it's just kind of <laughs> surrounding us here it's really a, it's a very full especially with the headphones on it's so much different because you can because of the way it's recorded so you're getting the whole thing but it's a full sound right, man right. it's kind of one of those things where you want to like lay down on the floor and just like in the middle of your speakers in the living room and turn it up really loud just yeah. you know so you can get that effect there's a weird this sound is, here. I was going to say, this is an interesting little transition, right? I thought it was like a jug. <laughs> Hear that? <laughs> what is that? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I love his guitar tone on this lead. So he's got his rhythm playing in the right and his lead playing in the left. Correct. Yeah. 
God, I love this album so much. It's it's fantastic. I'm really happy that you recommended it because I wouldn't have missed. I wouldn't have made it otherwise. If you like ZZ Top, like their later stuff, give me all your love and all your hugs and kisses too. I mean, there's so much of this in that, but they didn't even know it because they'd only played together for six right. months. This was all recorded, by the way, in 1970, and they didn't release it until January of 71. So they set on this for almost nine months before they released it. Was part of that that it took a while to find distribution? That plus they they were just trying to figure out a way to, to have somebody use it and market it correctly. Gotcha, gotcha. They just okay. couldn't do it. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, I think it did take a little while for uh, London to agree to distribute it for them. So really? but who knows how long that took? And then yeah. you're right. How do you how do you market this? Because there's not a uh, there's not a big southern rock or Texas boogie rock scene at this time. Yeah. And this definitely isn't the British blues rock stuff coming over. I'm gonna let the cat out of the bag. Leonard Skinner didn't exist before this. Marshall Tucker Band didn't exist before sure. this. So Skinner's first album came out, what, like two years after they recorded this? A year maybe, and a half? Maybe. 18 months, something like that? Yeah. Again, they were recording this. They they put these songs together in 69. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that, that song could almost be a, uh, and there's another one on here in a minute as well, like a blueprint for the 70s Southern rock. Yeah. Okay. So now, speaking of. Speaking of. Uh, this is Old Man. You told me you didn't like this song. This is my absolute least favorite song on this album. And the reason is, is because, and you corrected me on this when I said it to you. I said, this sounds like Leonard Skinner. And you said, no, Leonard Skinner sounds like yeah. them, which to our conversation a second ago. Yeah. This is Tuesday's Gone. Tuesday's Gone, they, yeah. They ripped Tuesday's Gone off. This, this sounds like, it, it totally does. Yeah. It, especially with that lead, that just nonstop like, lead playing going on. And he's, it's actually going on in two ears. Like, he's got two different lead parts going on periodically. There's the big one. And then there's another little one over here. Really? It's a sad song, by the way. It's about an old man who's dying alone and didn't have any money. Kind of in a shack and just kind of dying. Oh, that is sad. I mean, how bluesy is that? Though? It's pretty bluesy. I wrote that the guitar insists upon itself. <laughs> it's insistent <laughs> guitar. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So, so listen, I mean, it's not like it's a bad song. I don't, I don't need any, need any comments from people to think I'm dogging ZZ Top here or anything. But it's just, I, it doesn't do anything for me. It, it, it sounds like the the stuff from Skinner that I don't like either. I just, yeah, you know, yeah. I, you know, I, I can do without Southern rock. As a general rule, I can as well. Now there are some exceptions to that, but as a general rule, it's not it's not something you're ever going to find me just. Listen. I'm, I'm never going to be like, hey, Mike, you want to throw some Southern rock on? Yeah. <laughs> Play some Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah, can we, can we get some of that on the guitar? That'd be fantastic. <laughs> Listen to that. It's... it's that's really good. It's not quiet yet. Eyes won't let him see. The skies are clearing. Someone tells him about us hearing. It's man Totally the song that you're standing around a pickup 
drinking a bunch of beer with your buddies in the montage as the 70s movie ends, right? In your bell bottoms? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well, once again, I'm saying that because I have Tuesday from Skinner yeah. burned in my brain from Dazed and Confused. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's the image you got there. You can almost play this album over Dazed and Confused. I mean, they probably Dazed go very well. Yeah. One of the one of the coolest. Oh, it's uh, a great movie. Soundtracks, yeah, yeah. and the yeah. soundtrack, absolutely. Yeah. Richard Linklater did that, and that was based on uh, his growing up in Huntsville, Texas. I knew it was Texas. I didn't realize it was Huntsville. Yeah. Okay. I think it was filmed in Austin, but it was right, based right. on Huntsville, Texas, where he grew up. I mean, there wasn't a fade out there, but I think he kind of ran out of ideas. You know, he was just like killing it on guitar. Yeah, well, he's been playing for the songs however long he's been playing the whole time. Okay, so this is also like very southern rock. This sounds like like Give Me Back My Bullets or something like yeah. that from Skinner. But once again, they did it first. So yeah. This is Neighbor Neighbor. Neighbor Neighbor. Okay. I got to pause the mid song. <laughs> okay, here go ahead. Because there's something I want to point out on sure. this. Uh, yes, the ZZ Top is a southern South Texas bar band right part of being a south texas bar band is they played in a lot of border bars right? okay uh and down there there's a uh there's a huge chicano uh culture right this song if you listen real close the way he does his pronunciation has a very mexican flavor to it really like, you must with my wife you know what you're right and now think about go listen to the way he staccato does it why you messing with my wife and then go low right <laughs> that's that's kind of okay, that gotcha, feel, right? yeah, sure. But, but that's what they were doing is these guys were bringing this South Texas feel that no one had sure. ever done. Nobody's before. done it before. Yeah, yeah listen, listen again to that. Exactly. I love those triplets. That triplet. Yeah, that was, that was great. That's a really dirty riff. I like that. So this big mouth neighbor went and told his wife that he was messing around. And what did he do? He dumped his ass out in the salty brine. <laughs> That's right. So this is a murder song. That's right. Yeah, he's going to kill the neighbor for, for running his lip. He's saying, you shouldn't have done that. But the, the story is simple. There's not a lot of detail. Right, there's, there's not a lot to it, yeah. We're here for this. Right. That's doubled. Right? Absolutely. It's that bass. He's really playing here. Twelve bar blues. This is a turnaround right here. There he goes. He's gonna kill him. That's right. Threw him in the salty brine. Floating in the salty brine. That boy, big mouth. That's right. You know, next time maybe 
Mind your own business. Maybe next time mind your own business. <laughs> Hope you learned your lesson. Floating in the salty brine. He definitely sent a message to the rest of the neighborhood, right? <laughs> this is uh, Certified Blues. Certified Blues. Yeah. This is a cool jam. I like this totally a lot. Is, yeah. And uh, definitely a uh, heroin addiction theme here. Kind of dark, on. yeah. Yeah. There's a line, the line here is really cool where he goes, the blues has just been certified, or this blues has just been certified. That's yeah. that's pretty cool. Very, very good. Very well done. God, it's so cool. It's such a cool riff, and just the groove is fantastic. Such a ZZ Top signature to it, doesn't it? It really does. Dusty's playing some really cool stuff right now. The, The bass on this is great. sunglasses yeah and i was gonna say that almost sounds when they stopped there a second ago i wanted them to go into jesus just left chicago yeah the guayo by the way is a fantastic album uh but that is like to me that's peak zz top that's zz top at their best okay you know when they do cheap sunglasses right which but you can see that in this track yeah you can see it there Love those Benzies doing oh, yeah. man. And Dusty's doing that cool little walk every other on that, just like walking it up, and they do the turnaround there. It's really cool. I hate the way this song ends, by the way. all you gotta do don't do anything else just, right. just leave it yeah it should be oh you know what I, i'm sorry I, I was thinking of a different song i was thinking, I was I was thinking, thinking it should be that, over because at some point frank beer goes oh gosh it kind of does a little ubiquitous roll thing okay this is bedroom thing this is a fun song this is about under an underage mistress who's trying to talk him into having sex with her correct and he's telling her he doesn't want to he's got to find her he's got to find like a real woman like a real woman yeah like an actual like an actual grown-up serious woman not just like some runaway little girl 
I love the growly lead guitar. Time blues. Yeah, I need someone to scratch my back. I need someone to carry my pack. I need someone to be with me at night. All you're going to do is make me feel all right. I love my mother. At some point, her generation has to answer for all the weird statutory rape shit <laughs> that they were seen about. Why is it? Why is it, it, it in the very, 70s? It was a very popular thing back then. I mean, Ted Nugent has that song about it. He even says that girl's 13 years old, and it's, nobody says anything about it. No, nobody worries about it at all. I, I don't understand. Like, Why was it okay for <laughs> like these underage girls to be running around with rock and roll guys back then? I mean, I guess at least he's telling her he's not going to have sex yeah, with her. Yeah, yeah so I mean, guess. With, Two thumbs up to uh, Billy for uh, taking the straight and narrow there. Way to go, man. Way to go. Th- there's no reason for you to sing about it, though. Listen, well, you have to answer the question about why she's still in your bedroom talking to yeah. you right now, right? <laughs> she shouldn't be a bedroom thing. <laughs> That's right. You need to get to church is what you need to do. Girl, you need to get home. It's all set up to play the guitar. Yes. I love how that, yeah. they pick up that groove there. Oh. Kind of like a train. That's exactly what that sounds like. And just like that, we're back into it. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, how. Crazy hot. Like, that tone? The, the rhythm section is running. He's just screaming over there. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's so easy to listen to this and think, like, well, you know, that, that's not a very good song, and it's really derivative of all the other stuff that they're doing. Like, yeah, again, this is ZZ Top's first album. And think about how much this has defined the rest of their catalog. Yeah, yeah, this is it. Hey, once again, I expect Jesus just left Chicago to start right there. Yeah. <laughs> But it's not derivative, though, because it's theirs, and it's the first time they were doing it. So, yeah, yeah ten albums later, sure, you could go, yeah, you guys sound... You know, we just keep calling out to all the other songs that sound like this one. But this was the first time they did any of them, so... And you're the only ones doing it like that. I mean, right, as much sure. as, as Stevie Ray Vaughan could have copied how good he is or maybe some of his licks, Stevie Ray Vaughan didn't sound like this. Stevie Ray Vaughan didn't sound like Jimi Hendrix. I don't know well, who they, anybody else has ever sounded all, like They this. all sounded like themselves, which is yeah. why we still listen to them and talk about them, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a million guys out there that sounded like Stevie or Billy, but they weren't Stevie or Billy. So. Sure, sure. It's a very complex. It's a, it's a very complex rhythm he's put in there. They make it sound like there's not much to it. Yeah, but it's it's done very very well. A little stutter step, but done with. 
extreme precision. It, the, the, tightness, the, the tightness, the fact that they're just like right in that together. And this is a band that's played together for six months for at this six point. Months, been yeah. In, the studio in for bars like a week. and shit. Yeah. In the studio for like a week. You know, I mean, this is this is next level. Yeah. And we get a fade out. Dang it. Uh, maybe they have to answer for the fade outs too. They, they probably do, but I think we could probably give them a pass. But I'm going to complain about it every time it happens, though. It's fun once we get to the end here. We have two songs left. Correct. Once we get to the end, uh, on any other album, I would go, well, these are the filler songs, right? Typically, when you build an album, your best song goes in the number three spot, right? Right. Uh, these guys, I, I think, put their best song in number two. You think it's number one. Uh, but the rest of it just kind of fills in, right? Uh, I think these last two songs may be some of the strongest material on the whole album. Well, this one that's coming up is my other favorite track. Okay. So it was one in this one. I, I think this is fantastic. Um, I love the guitar playing. Just a great and great jam. Uh, once again, the bass playing on this is fantastic. And I think it's kind of funny because the lyrics on this flip the script on track one. Yeah. You know, so in the first one, there's a twist at the end. There, there is. That's yeah. true. But I just, I just like the general vibe that, like in the first one, he's talking about the ladies running off on him. Well, in this one, he's the other person, if you will. And it's just, it's, it makes for, it just makes for a kind of fun back and forth. I yeah. Think. Uh, you know, and they, they kind of do this, uh, this whole bluesy heartbreak thing, in, in a really kind of a twisted manner. Even on neighbor, neighbor. You know, you'd think, why is the neighbor messing around with my wife? Well, he's the neighbor's not messing around with the wife. <laughs> right, right. The neighbor told your wife that you, you were messing, messing around, around with her, somebody else yeah. yeah and so he killed the neighbor well so they, so they have a tongue-in-cheek humor and you can and obviously later on some of that you could make an argument developed into cheese in the 80s at one point but a little bit okay yeah. but but their humor and you can see it coming out here i mean they're, they're doing blue stuff and you can see the what they're going to do with the music but also with the lyrics there, there's some there's some tongue-in-cheek some, there's some funny stuff going on here there is you know? yeah yeah and and it's and not and overt, and it's not in your face but if you listen to it it's oh, it's clever i like that i got it this is just got back from babies That's not kind of like the blues. That is the blues. That's the blues. Yeah. yeah. That's. I was gonna say this is BB King esque, <laughs> right? King, right. This is BB King. All that space in between the bars. He's, he's, he's phrasing. You know, he's giving us a phrase, and then he waits, and then he gives us another but, phrase. And, and this one is probably the most pure 12-bar blues of all the songs. Yeah, right? I think you're probably right, yeah. No, I'm just got back from baby. I love how he pushes his voice on this. It kind of breaks a little bit. A little bit, yeah. He doesn't talk like that at all, by the way. I mean, he talks like a... Sometimes he's kind of hip and kind of cool. Right. But if he's just talking in his normal accent, there's no affectation to me. He right. talks like this a... This is his singing voice. He talks like a yippie. Yeah. yeah. I love how we've got a guitar kind of noodling just a little bit in the background. Just a little riff here and there. Like, That's B.B. King. Like, straight totally, out of B.B. King book. Totally. Totally. Right? I 
got a funny feeling I'm not the only man she sees. <laughs> so we're gonna resolve the heartache with a little bit of a little, little bit of blues. A little heart. bit of blues. Here we go. Sounds like a jazz organ, but it's not. He's playing that on his guitar, right? Correct, yeah. Real gentle-like. And, you know, the really, the cool twist on this thing, like the way this thing is structured, is, yeah, he's doing a 1-4-5, 12-bar blues, but they're also doing it in a minor key, right? Right. So they throw in the added added textural layer of it being a minor. Of the minor. Yeah, and it gives it that even sadder feel than it would And that's another reason it sounds... So classic bluesy, and that you're getting some of those those notes because that's the keys playing it. You know, you're getting some of those like not not that major like blues stuff. But the minor th- throws a little bit in there. Yeah. Those zillion cymbals, that high hat is it's really hard to mistake. That that style back then, you know, that sure, it's so crisp. So yeah, so that's that's the twist there. If her loving, if her loving don't get me, I know her husband will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of a funny play on the like you know Jimi Hendrix Red House. You know, like I know she, she won't love me. I know her sister will. <laughs> yeah. did a lot of songs about sex. Tube, tube Snake Boogie was... Tube Snake Boogie? Yeah. Tube Steak Boogie. That's right. Not Tube Snake, but Tube Steak. I'm pretty sure it's Tube Steak. <laughs> wow. Which is... Uh, Again, no double entendre, just straight out entendre. <laughs> that's just right? straight yeah, that's, just, that's just right at you. In your face, if you will. Yeah. Uh, we've come up on the very last track of the album uh, it's, a, it's a fast album it, it's gone really quick this, this won't be a quick episode but this is a fast album this is <laughs> this is backdoor love affair uh, it, <laughs> a classic theme in uh, blues going to the back door to meet the lady so gotcha gotta gotcha. sneak in the back because yeah. you can't go in through the front because then the neighbors would find out and then somebody's got to die in the salt marsh so that. That that's very very Victorian of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, with the uh, all plausible explanations, you know, <laughs> absolutely. A lot of guitars going on here. love the bass parts. That's kind of a pattern that he played a lot on this album and, and later on. I mean, this is kind of like one of his trademark like blues shuffle kind of things. It's not really shuffle, but you know what I mean. What's cool, though, is this is just as hot as some of the earlier stuff on the album. 
You know, oh, absolutely! Yeah, the whole way through, they've been playing some hot music. I could listen to this for two or three hours at a time in a bar. You know, oh, just... absolutely! And I think that's a. I mean, I've been listening to this you know all week, and I'm not tired of it. But it would be better in a bar. Yeah. To your point, I mean, this is the kind of music that you want to be in a smoky, sweaty bar till it's way too late in the evening. Listen to these guys just kill it. Someone. Probably someone we know has a story about seeing these guys at Green Hall. Oh, probably, yeah. And Green Hall is perfect for this type of stuff. That, that's, yeah, that's what you're thinking, right? Beautiful bar, late Texas evening. This is what you want to see. This is this is the band you want to see in a bar when you walk the, into the, the bar. The cicadas room. screaming outside. <laughs> Absolutely. Can it get more Texas than that? Yeah. Love that bass walking. Oh, it's fantastic. Man, I just want to rock back and forth on that, you know. Just they're like, just they're really going at it. I mean, like they really built their building into this crescendo at the end yeah. here. It's great. I love that monotone that's sustaining that all the way through, you know, and he's doing other stuff, but it's still Right, right, right. They sound to me like they're having fun on this track. Like they enjoy they enjoy playing with each other. They're having a good time. Yeah, I kind of envision them standing around, circling each other. How, how much longer do we want to keep this going? We, <laughs> yeah. Let's just keep going. This is fun. They're doing the circle thing with their yeah. fingers. Like play it yeah, one more time. Going, just, just keep going. This is fun. <laughs> but, you, but you know what I mean. I mean, they sound like they're having a good time. Yeah, they really do. It, it was a party band. Yeah, know, but they were just doing it with blues, and no one had done that before. I mean, when the groove's that good, why would you want the song to end? Yeah. But we're going to get a... Fade it out. Fade it out. (laughs) I I can't tell I could have listened to another minute or so of that little end jam there. It was just over and over and over? Just going and going. I I just think that's fantastic. That's that's really, really cool. Yeah. I dig that kind of stuff when the band's in the groove and they're just having some... They're they're having fun and they're just going at it and everything sounds good. Don't fade it out. Let Let them keep playing a little bit longer. Some of the feedback that I've gotten uh, from some of our friends who have reached out to us that have been listening, uh, have I've heard this from multiple people where they've said that uh, when they listen to our stuff, at first they go, "Well, I don't, I don't like that band. You know, I, I don't really give you, I don't care about Talking Heads, or I don't." And I always heard about Tool, but that's not my thing. Sure, uh, I'm, my friends who have listened so far have said, "I'm so glad that I listened to it because you introduced me to someone I'd never heard of before." Songs I'd never heard of before. Well, you know what? We're not going to focus on hits. We're focusing on focusing on the albums that we love the, the most. stuff that we actually want to listen to. And and I said this at the beginning. I'm really glad that you on that subject picked this album because I had never listened to this album before, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And I feel like I came away with a, a much greater appreciation of ZZ Top as a band than, than I had going into it. And I, I'm more of a fan now than I was when we got started. Yeah. And that, that's a great album. And the Little Texas band the little texas trio that little band in texas uh the fact that you can almost go back it's almost like like 
looking in through a, a time machine, you know, like looking back at where they started. That's kind of the cool thing about this album to me. Sure. Uh, and when you pick this album up, you're like, does it have Lagrange on it? No. Well, you know, does it have Sharp Dress Man? <laughs> right. No. Like, you know, just flip through the hits. Like, it doesn't have legs. It doesn't have tush. It doesn't have, you know, whatever. There's nothing from this album on their greatest hits. Yeah. 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 There, there isn't. None of these songs are. I wouldn't I, think so anyway. I, I can't, I don't know which one it would be. Um, but then again, if you ask me, if you go, hey, let's listen to some ZZ Top, I'm going to go, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, I'm running the, the CD player. You know, let me put this one on. Yeah, sure. I, I've got I've got the the ZZ Top album. Now it's going to be tough because that third album that they did, Trace Hombres, is is a is an incredible album. It really that is. that is an amazing album. Yeah. That's a fantastic album. And not only does it have all the hits, but it's just just such a pinnacle of their style of music. I think. Yeah. But what they started here ended up there. If sure. we go back here, that's why this is one of my favorite albums. I liked it. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been ZZ Top's first album. I'm Michael, that's Jason, and this is our favorite album. Thanks for hanging with us.